Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. For CPAs to maintain their role as trusted business advisors, those in client-facing roles need to understand the details of Social Security. In this episode, I spoke with the Social Security Administration, specifically Brandon Smith, a public affairs specialist in downtown Cleveland, and Robert Fenn, the public affairs specialist in downtown Akron. We discussed the requirements to become eligible for benefits, working and receiving retirement benefits, how spouses factor in, and much more. We started the conversation with Brandon telling me how you become eligible for benefits. Here's what he had to say. As far as retirement benefits concerned, there's a work and an age requirement. You, you can't have one without the other as far as your benefit eligibility uh, for Social Security retirement benefits. As far as the age is concerned, a person needs to be at least 62 years old for reduced retirement benefits. Every month that they are willing and able to wait, the check would increase. So if you're 62 and nine months old, that check is a little bit larger than it would have been at 62 and two months. Every month does make a difference. Person also needs to have worked and paid into the system for at least 10 years on a part-time basis. Those 10 years do not have to be consecutive. Over the course of 10 years of work, a person would earn 40 credits, uh, sometimes known as 40 quarters of coverage. Um, in 2021, a credit of coverage is $1,470. You can earn up to four credits or four quarters of coverage per year. So for this year, that would be $5,880 that a person would need to earn to get the four credits towards the 40 that they would need for benefit eligibility. So that's sort of the, the foundation. That's the, uh, the sourdough starter of uh, retirement benefit eligibility. Did you work long enough? Did you hit the required age? And everything else is sort of gonna build off that, be it you know, spousal benefits where you're married long enough, you meet the re uh, requirements big, based on age, same thing with survivor benefits. But I'm, I'm sure Rob has a couple of more things to add to that one as well. And Brandon, I love the sourdough starter comment, very pandemic timely. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I could trademark it, I would and throw it on a t-shirt. So I'm going to look into that as soon as we're done today. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a smart move. Um, so can a person work and receive retirement benefits? Yes. Um, so that is a, a question that Brandon and I receive often um, because especially as you just said, Jessica, during the pandemic, you know, people were all trying to make ends meet. And one of the things that I have found in my career with Social Security is that Sometimes people will um, have their own definitions of retirement. And in my mind, social, uh, retirement means I have worked and now it's time for me to stop seeing these people, right? I'm done, right? Well, some of the individuals define retirement as I was working full time, now I'm going to part time. So Social Security has a dollar amount which we use to gauge your actual retirement. Um, we call it an annual or a monthly earnings test. And far as in 2021, there's a dollar amount which we use um, to determine that. And this year, if you're underneath your full retirement age, meaning less than uh, your, for now, it's individuals who are 66 plus months. For those who were born between 1943 to 1954, 
his or her full retirement age would be 66. For the sake of our conversation, I'm just gonna stick with that uh, solid number of 66 because the full retirement age does increase to those who were born in 1960 or later to age 67. It increases in increments of two months each year. So for individuals who are less than the full retirement age, his or her full retirement age, they are 62, that dollar amount would be $18,960 this year. If someone is turning their full retirement age, that individual could make $50,520 this year from the month, from the year, excuse me, from the month um, right before they're reaching their full retirement age to the beginning of the year. So if their full retirement age um, was 66 in June, from January to May, the individual can make $50,520. If the person was 62, 63, 64, 65, then we would look at the $18,960 amount. So individual can work and still receive a social security benefit. Um, what's important, Jessica, is that I, Brandon and I, we want individuals to understand that if they're retiring during that year, there is also an option for an individual to file for their benefits and social security will still want to know how much they have made for the year, but the months after the retirement may not be held against them. They still could receive their social security payment. Um, many of our presentations and our outreach, we see individuals thinking that they made over the $18,000 amount. They've made over the $50,000 amount and they think that they cannot receive their social security payment that year. Uh, it's also what we call a lemony year, but we don't want to get into the jargon and all those things. But um, it is something that we can still look to see if a person is eligible for a payment. So yes, you can still work and receive a retirement payment. And I'm guessing probably what a lot of people listening right now are also thinking, you know, of their spouse. So would um, a spouse receive half? That is a question that comes up in almost every presentation, uh, exhibit table related event. I mean, in the pre-COVID days that, that Rob and I and our other counterparts would, would do. So uh, we want to make sure that all the listeners really understand that spouse is a, is a gender, you know, neutral term, could be a husband, could be a wife. The, the gender makeup of the couple is a complete and utter non-issue. Second, when we say spouse, we're talking about a situation where both parties are still alive. We, you know, sometimes we get into the semantics of spouse, surviving spouse, widow, widower, but for, for spousal benefits, you're either still married to someone or you're no longer married to them, but everyone is still with us. They're still alive. So the most a spouse could receive on the record of his or her living husband or wife or living ex-husband or ex-wife would be 50% of that wage earner's full retirement age amount. So taking going back to, to Rob's point, let's say person was born between 43 and 54 and that person's full retirement age is 66. Well, the most that person's spouse could receive is half of the amount that the wage earner would have received at his or her full retirement age. But the key word is, you know, the, the most they could receive. The percentage that a person is going to get as a spouse is going to be predicated on that person's own age. So the age of the applicant is going to dictate, you know, the percentage that he or she receives. So if you're a 62 year old husband or wife and you want to apply for spousal benefits, 
there's going to be a reduction in what you receive because of your age. So it could be more money, but it will not be the quote unquote half because you're not at your full retirement age. We also need to look to see, well, how much is this applicant receiving on his or her own record? Or how much are they eligible for on their own record? Because that's going to dictate also the amount that they could receive. So if I'm eligible for $1,000 as a spouse, but I'm already collecting, say, $1,200 in retirement benefits, well, then there's no spousal benefit to pay me because I'm already collecting a larger benefit amount based on my own work record when compared to what I could receive on the record of my husband or wife. So we just like to say that there's potential eligibility. It could be more money depending on how the numbers pan out, but across the board, it's not a guaranteed that you're going to get any specific percentage because it just depends on how old you are when you apply for the benefits and also depends on how much, if anything, you're eligible for on your own work record. And I'll piggyback off of that. Um, I just need to make sure I go on the record. Um, on my side, uh, my wife says the wife always gets half and then some no matter what. But in terms of Social Security, Mr. Smith has outlined it perfectly. Um, it's what we call the dean filing. Um, the laws did change in 2015, effective in 2016. When a person files for his or her uh, retirement benefits, the prior law, if someone was age 66, their full retirement age, and so was their spouse, Social Security, we could just pay them as a spouse and ignore any monies that they were eligible on their own. New law states, as Mr. Smith was pointing out, that we have to pay you first what you are eligible for, regardless of your age. So if you were 62, we're gonna pay you on your own. If you're 66, we're gonna pay you on your own first and then look to see if we can make up any of those differences. Uh, it's a question that um, we receive often. Again, is does a spouse receive half? Well, again, if you are less than your full retirement age, that answer is no. There's that percentage decrease. And then if the individual is over their full retirement age, we have to pay you first what you're eligible for, then determine if you're still underneath that half amount of what your spouse is eligible for at their full retirement age. Something I've heard people mention before is doing a do-over. What's a do-over? It, it, it's what I have to do since my wife, if she hears this podcast, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say something over. No, in terms of social security, um, the phrase do over means that just that. An individual has decided to file for his or her social security retirement benefits. And then they say, hmm, can I do this over? Now, prior law, when I say prior, prior to uh, 2015, um, we had the change in the law the individuals uh, could file a social security retirement benefit, receive his or her payments, and social security then will allow that individual, if they wish, to fill out a form to state that they wish to return all of the monies in which we sent to them, okay? So if they receive $20,000 for the year, they write us a check for $20,000 back to social security, right? Now, an individual prior to the change, the individuals could do this anytime, 
you know, and as many times as they wish to do so. New law, the individual could state that they wish to do the do-over, but, or what we call a withdrawing of the claim, they can do it one time in their lifetime and within 12 months of them receiving their payments. I repeat, so they only can do it one time in their lifetime and they have to make that decision within 12 months of them receiving their social security payment. So the do-over in essence means that you're gonna turn back all the monies that you receive from social security. And I should add, uh, piggybacking off of the, our prior uh, conversation, if I receive 20,000 and my spouse received 10,000, my 20,000 has to be returned and the $10,000 also has to be returned for my spouse. So I would have to convince my wife to also turn in that $10,000, which again would make a very interesting conversation at dinner. <laughs> would a non-covered pension affect social security benefits? That's another one of those topics that, you know, like I said, Rob and I and all of our counterparts here in the Buckeye State, we, you know, we hear this all the time. We get questions about this. So uh, just to, once again, going back to the sourdough star to lay in the foundation, people uh, just want to be aware that there are two laws that can potentially affect your social security benefits when you're going to get a uh, non-covered pension or non-covered benefits. Let me, first of all, let me just maybe flesh out what, what, what that means. If you work for a job that doesn't contribute into social security, the benefits that you derive from that job can affect your social security. So I know people sometimes will say, well, who are you, who are you talking about? Who do you work for? Do you work for city, township, village, the county, the state, and you're uh, a non-covered government employee, uh, police and firefighters, non-covered employees. Do you work for, school system, uh, public school system, public university, public hospital, public library. Um, you know, even like most counties, we we're all blessed to maybe have like a, a Metro park system, some sort of, you know, regional park district in our area. Those are all, um, independent sort of government entities. I, I know here in the, in the greater Cleveland area, even the Northeast Ohio regional sewer district, those are, considered government employees. So if social security taxes aren't taken out of your, your paycheck and you work in some sort of political subdivision, you're considered a, a government employee. Now, the two laws that could affect you, there's windfall elimination provision. Windfall elimination provision would affect the social security benefit that you would be eligible for based on your own work record. It causes us to change the formula that we use to figure out your benefit. It will not eliminate your benefit. You'll still be eligible. Some of you have the age of someone you've worked and paid in the system for at least 10 years on a part-time basis. You'll still be eligible for social security retirement benefits, but your, the fact that you're getting a public pension will cause the formula to be slightly altered. The second law, government pension offset. 
it affects the social security benefit that you would be eligible for based on someone else's record. So back to our uh, information about spousal benefits. If I want to apply for benefits on the record of my current spouse, my ex-spouse, my late spouse, my public pension is going to affect the amount that I could receive from his or her record. And since it's an offset, it's possible if my pension is large enough that I won't collect any spousal, ex-spousal or survivor benefits because it's directly tied to the amount of my public benefits, two thirds of the gross amount of my monthly non-covered benefits are gonna be subtracted from whatever I receive from social security as a spouse or a surviving spouse. So if I'm gonna get a $900 pension from Ohio Public Employees Retirement System, OPERS, two thirds of that amount or $600 would be subtracted from whatever I could receive from social security. So if my husband or wife's record could pay me $500 and I'm getting a public pension of 900 and they're gonna take two thirds of that amount, 600, Subtracted from 500, now you're into the, some weird negative number. So in that instance, I wouldn't receive any benefits from my spouse's record. So it's probably best if, you know, the listeners encourage their, their clients, or even if this affects them directly, you know, make sure that whenever you're about to apply for social security, you have an idea of how much your public benefits are going to be. Uh, when you're going to receive them so that we can accurately input that information to make sure we're going to pay out the correct amount of social security benefits. And when you mention benefits, Brandon, are those benefits taxable? You know, we can man, answer the questions regarding social security benefits. I, I don't know if the benefits from the non-covered jobs are taxable. My, my assumption is they are as far as uh, social security benefits. Yeah. And I know Rob had a couple of thoughts regarding the, taxation of social security benefits that he wanted to share. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the uh, taxation of social security benefits, again, uh, Brandon and I, we represent the social security administration. We do not represent IRS, um, but this information we can share um, to, uh, <clears throat> to the public and CPAs and the like, is that what's gonna take place is that if individuals are receiving a social security payment, then IRS is gonna look at their adjusted gross income plus any non-taxable interest and half of their social security benefits. So $12,000 is what they receive for the year, $6,000. They're gonna add those up and that will uh, equal to what we call the combined income, combined income. I, I repeat, your adjusted gross income, non-taxable interest and half of the social security benefits will equate to the combined income. So what are those hard numbers that IRS is gonna look at to determine what is a combined income? For an individual, if, they, if their combined income is between $25,000 to $34,000, they may have uh, their benefits taxed up to 50%. Doesn't mean it's going to be 50%. It could be one, two, three, whatever. There's a scale up to 50% of their benefits. Um, if they are individual, filing individually, if it's more than $34,000, it could be taxed up to 85%. The same applies for a couple. If they're, as a couple, they're filing, it, the numbers are 32,000 to 44,000. It could be taxed up to 
if that couple is more their income combined income is more than 44,000 then it's up to 85% up to now the real world Jessica is that what individuals do is they file for their social security payments they receive those payments the next year if they will if you lack a better words they get a ding from IRS saying that you may owe we as social security we have a form um, that we use that comes from IRS, a W-4B voluntary tax withholding form. An individual could submit this form, simple form, their name, social security number, signing off, and they can elect to have a certain percentage withheld from their social security payments because the social security payments that we sent out, there aren't any taxes taken out of that. But an individual can elect for us to withhold a certain percentage amount from the social security payments for them to cover them for the next year. And those increments are seven, 10, 12, and I believe 26 or 22% for them to have that withhold. They have total control over that. They can start in January, 7%, and then in contact us in March and say, can you stop this or change it to a different increment? The only thing is, of course, if you contact us on March 31st, it'll be too late for the April payment to be affected. And earlier we, we were talking about spouses are ex-spouses eligible for benefits? Yes, ex-spouses are eligible for benefits. Um, it all depends on the duration of marriage. It's what I call my uh, Elizabeth Taylor Mickey Rooney clause. Um, and I also call it Halle Berry, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> the, the point is, is that if you have a couple, and again, as Mr. Smith Brandon had mentioned earlier, um, all the social security policies are gender neutral. So. Uh, if you have a couple and they were married and for at least 10 years, the spouses are potentially eligible on their record. So let me just make sure I give an example for clarification. Um, you have, uh, I'll just use myself, I'm married and if I'm eligible for $1,000 and my spouse was eligible for 400, I'm using that number because it's less than half. And if my wife and I have been married over 10 years and then we part ways, she is still potentially eligible when she reaches her retirement age and I also am at least my retirement age. Both individuals have to at least be age 62, right? So if she was older than me and she was age 62 and I was 61, I have not reached my retirement age yet. So my wife could file as an ex-spouse we've been married over 10 years, she could file on her own first if she had any earnings that she was eligible for. Then I reached age 62. She could recontact Social Security to see if she's eligible for the difference. So in my example, I said mine was 1,000, hers was 400. And the numbers I'm comparing are the numbers at her full retirement age, not at 62. At 66, she could have received $400. So there's a, a difference there of $100. The Social Security is going to take an account um, that she's filing before 66, so that $100 could be less than two, maybe 80 bucks, but it still will be added to her Social Security payment. So again, as long as the spouse, uh, the couple have been married at least 10 years, the ex-spouse is potentially eligible. Now, keep this in mind. Um, I use the analogy, I say Elizabeth Taylor, because most individuals, when I say Elizabeth Taylor, they recognize the, the famous celebrity and the multiple marriages. Um, so with Social Security, even if I was married to eight different individuals, Social Security is going to compare my record to theirs 
and we're going to look to see if they were eligible for more benefits on their own versus what my amount would be for them as a spouse. Social Security is going to do that comparison. And regardless, if my Social Security check is $1,000 and my wife files, and let's just say for conversation, she's eligible for $400, 500, whatever it may be, my Social Security check stays the same. My Social Security check would not be lowered by the fact of my wife or ex-wife in this example files for her spousal benefits. So the duration of marriage is what counts, but also what we're gonna look at social security purposes, we're gonna look at what is the spouse eligible for on their own to determine how much their social security check is going to be. And what is the relationship between health savings accounts, uh, which I think a lot of people have and Medicare? And, and let me just, for those that may not be aware, sort of define what a, a health savings account, sometimes known as an HSA is. And I, I'm pulling this directly from healthcare.gov, but it's a type of savings account that lets you set aside money on a pre-tax basis to pay for qualified medical expenses. Um, you know, those untaxed dollars can be used to pay for deductibles, co-insurance, co-pays, and some other expenses. And by doing that, a person might be able to lower their overall healthcare costs, but generally those funds can't be used to pay premiums. Now, regarding the relationship between the HSA and Medicare, and this is an IRS rule, this isn't a, a social security uh, rule per se, but one of the rules regarding contributing into an HSA is you can't be on Medicare. In Medicare, that federal health insurance for people that are aged or with uh, certain disabilities. Um, there's two main parts to Medicare, Medicare Part A, which pays your hospital insurance, Medicare Part B, which covers your outpatient doctor services. So a person can't be on Medicare if he or she wants to continue to contribute into an HSA. So someone may want to take that into consideration you know, when they either apply for social security benefits or if they're thinking about delaying, because while a person of Medicare eligibility age has the right, or the, if they want to, to refuse the Medicare Part B, if you're over 65 and receiving a social security cash benefit, you're going to be on Medicare Part A, and there's no way to sort of uncouple part a eligibility and receiving the cash benefits if you're over 65 there's no way to withdraw just from the a you would have to withdraw uh, completely from social security as well to no longer be eligible for the part um, part a also if you're applying for either medicare or social security benefits and you're doing it past 65 there's going to be an automatic retroactivity of up to six months for the part a. So let's say a person, he or she is still working. They have healthcare coverage from their job. They're not on Medicare at all. They didn't need it. You know, fast forward now they're 66, 67, and they decide, yep, I want to, you know, push the eject button on employment and I want to enjoy uh, this retired life. So they decide to start taking their social security benefits their Medicare Part A is going to be backdated for six months. So they're going to need to, 
you know, see how that's going to impact the um, any contributions they've made to the health savings account because there might be an overlap and there, you know, there might be some penalties assessed to them. So people just need to be fully aware that they cannot be on Medicare while contributing into a health savings account. This, Jessica, is something that um, Brandon and I, we've had those discussions with the general public. So it's very important. Um, one thing that I do, I just tell individuals, it behooves them to contact their HR, the benefits and payroll. Uh, someone at their job is going to um, be able to have the conversation with them to possibly um, and make sure that they are no longer making contributions to that HSA prior to them filing for Medicare. So as Brandon was mentioning, when there's that retroactivity, that six months, they wanna make sure that that six months does not overlap with that same time period. So they may contact their benefits, payroll, HR and the like, and say, effective March, I no longer want to make any contributions. They can continue to make deductions from the HSA, but no longer make those contributions, um, again, uh, where it overlaps. And if a spouse passes, does the survivor um, receive their payment? Mm -hmm. uh, it depends on the individual's um, own payment. So let me just give you a couple examples briefly here. Let's say I am married. And so my social security check is $1,000 and my wife's social security check, hers is also $1,000. Those records are separate, if you will, right? She has her own earnings. I have my own earnings. Now, if I were to pass away, my wife um, is potentially eligible at age 60 as a surviving spouse, or as age 60, unless she became disabled um, within seven years of my passing, then it could be at early as age 50. But many individuals, um, it, it's more common, I, could, I believe I can fairly say, at age 60. So the spouse could file at age 60, that percentage starts around 71.5%. The longer my wife waits to file as a survivor, uh, a widow's benefit, it increases to the 100% of what I received. So the short answer is, Social Security is going to compare how much my spouse is receiving on her own versus what she can receive on my record. Now, there are scenarios that may play out. Uh, my wife could, at age 60, file for just the widow's benefit. And as time passes, she's allowing her own earnings to continue to accrue, right? They're continuing to grow. And then, so let's say at age 62, 64, 66, or 70, whatever she wishes, she could then make a switch to receive a benefit based upon her Social Security earnings. So that is possible. Or the opposite, an individual could start at age 62 on their own, time passes, their spouse passes away, and they can make a switch as a widow or widower. And again, I must emphasize the Social Security policies are gender neutral. So um, either individual could file on the others. They just have to make sure that they contact us. The real world is the individuals will uh, have a spouse who's passed away. We will receive information from, from the family members, the funeral homes and the like, but we want the family member, the surviving individual to contact us, set up an appointment with Social Security, 
the numbers that uh, Brandon had mentioned earlier, that may be the 800 number 772-1213. Um, they can also contact us, we'll make the appointment, and then we will go over those numbers for them. So it's, it doesn't have to be that guessing game. Um, we'll um, make sure that they have the right and the, the correct and the accurate numbers to determine how much their social security payment is gonna be. They have a choice. Um, some individuals may take a lower amount at one point and then make a switch. Some people may take a higher check, depending on what their needs may be at that time. Can you tell me uh, what methods uh, CPAs, accountants should use when contacting uh, Social Security? Yeah, sure. We always want to make sure that the public, be it um, just general public or financial professionals, CPAs, anyone is fully aware of the services that can be accessed via our website. That address is simply socialsecurity.gov. You go to socialsecurity.gov. If you scroll down to the bottom of the page, there's a sort of a contact us link. You open up that page, it has it does a really good job of explaining that we've got over 200 of our most frequently asked questions um, on our website. So you can click on the, the FAQs. A person can apply for benefits on our website, retirement, spousal, disability, Medicare, and in some instances, a person can even apply for the needs-based disability program supplemental security income. But we, we understand that you know not everyone is going to have the ability to, to access some of the online services. So if that isn't something they can do, you know, if you can't use the online services, you can reach, you know, your local office uh, between the hours of 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. When you've gone to socialsecurity.gov and you've gone out of the bottom of the page and clicked on contact us on the bottom of, you know, that other, the next page, you know, there's a, a field office locator where you can put in your zip code and it will give you the phone number and the fax number of your local office. So the direct address would be socialsecurity.gov slash agency slash contact. Go to the bottom of the page and click on the field office locator and that'll give you the ability to look up your individual servicing office based on your zip code. If the services can't be, if you can't reach your local office, we have a toll-free national number, 1-800. 772-1213. Uh, representatives are available between, um, you know, most hours Monday through Friday. You know, you can do like 8, 8.30 to about 4.30 or so for the online services. So it's, it's really about letting people know that, yeah, you can call us. You can um, go on our website. You can talk to a local person. Um, there's automated services that you can access via the you know the website um, as well and 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 via the the toll-free national number so it's really about making sure that you have the ability to get the information in a digestible format for yourself so once again it's 1-800-772-1213 socialsecurity.gov uh, socialsecurity.gov slash agency slash contact it's just for you know right now our offices are closed to the public for face-to-face -face service so it's going to you're gonna to have to be assisted by phone or online. Thank you to Brandon and Robert for joining me to discuss more about the details of social security. 
what takeaway did you learn from the episode? You can let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O, at ohiocpa.com. And please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening.